0: you will open your Bibles once again to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20. Uh, We'll begin our uh, reading in verse 17 and read through the end of the chapter. This is the third and final uh, sermon from this text. Uh, I think I've mentioned in uh, both of the previous sermons something along uh, these lines that uh, there's at least two things uh, going on in the text, uh, it is uh, Luke uh, recording for us uh, this very uh, uh, personal and, and powerful and, and tender uh, encounter uh, between Paul and these elders uh, that uh, had served with him, that he had invested in uh, there in the church uh, in uh, Ephesus. And we see this, this great concern this great affection that uh, Paul has for these particular men, uh, for the church at Ephesus. But I believe that, uh, that it extends that Paul has a great concern for all that will accept the responsibility of eldership and for all who shall be a part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church, uh, until, again, Christ Returns. And so we see also this very pertinent warning and some instructions to these elders related to the dangers that lie ahead for them and for the church. Again, uh, particular dangers uh, that were there uh, within Ephesus, but again, dangers that shall be replicated time and time again uh, for the church until the time of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, That the church has always existed in the midst of a hostile world. And to varying degrees, it has always been uh, dangerous to be identified as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. It has always been difficult and we've noted on a number of occasions that it seems to me, given the uh, inclination of our current age, that this uh, difficulty uh, is going to intensify uh, for us in these days ahead. And so it is a, a warning and instructions that we would do, will, do well uh, to listen to. So let's read. Uh, beginning in verse 17, again, of Acts uh, chapter 20. Uh, we will read through the end of the chapter, and it is our, our goal, our plan to complete uh, uh, this study uh, today and next week move forward uh, into chapter 21. Verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know How I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now... Behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course And the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, uh, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and uh, there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. Uh, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Pray with me. Father, once again, thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, it is your inspired word. It has been preserved for us. It is the imperishable seed of uh, the new birth. It is indeed the word of your grace. God, I pray that uh, your spirit that inspired this truth, would work in and among us today, that I would be faithful, that I would correctly handle, rightly divide. I would preach your word, and God, that uh, your spirit would be at work uh, among us, believing that your word never, ever returns void. Lord, we lift this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've seen, Paul is making uh, this long journey from the Greek peninsula back to Jerusalem. His goal is to present to the church in Jerusalem an offering uh, gathered uh, from those churches on the Greek peninsula uh, both to help them as they are uh, living in in poverty. They are facing persecution. Uh, There'd most likely been a famine. They were facing great difficulty. But maybe more importantly, it was designed as a a symbol, a testimony to the true unity of the people of God, to to the oneness of of those who confess Jesus Christ uh, as Lord, and so he is trying to make his way speedily to arrive in Jerusalem uh, to celebrate Pentecost uh, there in Jerusalem, and so uh, at the port of call uh, called Miletus, he he calls to him. These elders uh, of the church, he wants to have a, a final uh, word with them. I think it is heavy on his heart. Uh, he remembers well uh, what he experienced in Ephesus, what he experienced in the Greek peninsula, and what he's fully expecting uh, throughout the completion of his journey. And even once he arrives at, at, at Jerusalem, he is going to be persecuted. There is going to be affliction, and he knows that that is going to be normative for the church. Uh, throughout the ages. And so the church is at a dangerous uh, place. And so he he does very much what he d- says to Timothy, uh, that, that he charged Timothy to entrust to reliable men these truths that had been entrusted to Timothy so that they would be able to instruct others, so there would be perpetuity, so there would be continuity uh, in the church. And Paul had been practicing uh, that. And so he calls these uh, leaders to to himself uh, for this uh, final uh, exchange uh, between him. I've told you that uh, this passage is a uh, favorite of mine, that that, that it's one of the few places in Scripture uh, that we find uh, these three uh, overlapping terms uh, that describe and define uh, the office of the pastor of the church. Uh, The first term in verse 17 is that of elders, the Greek presbyteros, uh, later in the text that we're going to give attention or the verses we give attention to today. Uh, that phrase, care for, is a translation of the Greek shepherd or pulmon, pulmono. Uh, the other word, to give oversight, overseer, episkopos. So we see all three concepts and all three terms utilized in the passage to describe those that are charged with leadership of the New Testament church. And then, of course, in this passage, uh, he uh, reminds them of the the manner of his ministry, the, the humility uh, that he uh, brought to the task, even though an apostle uniquely called, having this one-of-a-kind encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, having had uh, this incredible uh, uh, success in ministry, seeing God work in incredible ways, yet His ministry could be described as being uh, humble in its manner of conduct. And then he reflected upon uh, this, this message that he preached that he was confident because of his faithfulness to the Word of God that he would be declared innocent of the blood of all men and that he had called upon all men in all places at all times as we always should do the ongoing reality that we constantly call people to what to repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ okay what what are what are the implications and the applications of every time we come to the word of God repent and believe And so, he said that he was constantly preaching that message to Jew and to uh, Gentile. And then again, uh, he uh, reminds them of the difficulty that they're going to face and indeed that he will face. So, let's find our way to verse 28, what I call a timeless warning. Pay attention to yourselves. That is a present active imperative. That means keep on always. This is something that you should must do daily. This is something that must be constant. Pay close attention to yourselves. Be aware of the privilege that you have, be aware of the dangers that you face. It is the reality that those who would lead a local church must. Be constantly involved in biblically informed, even ruthless, thorough, vigorous, brutal self-examination according to the Word of God. I've told you during the family series, if I want to sense the weight of my own sinfulness, all I have to do is go look at the admonitions for a husband and a father, and I see how far short I fall. If I want to see, if I'm, if I'm not convinced of how sinful I am, then I can go look at the qualifications for elders found in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. As I look at my lack of perfection, it makes me thankful there is a gospel. There is a faithful husband whose name is Jesus, and there is a chief shepherd who has promised that he will ultimately shepherd the sheep, no matter how great the failure of us very weak and very fallible under shepherds. That gives me a measure of comfort. And so, now, that doesn't mean, and according to the spirit of our age, that we are to be constantly engaged in what I would call the incipient narcissism, the constant self-idolization, self-promotion, self-packaging that exists, even in the pastorate. Even in the pastorate. That that we are this does not mean that we are to be the center of our own attention and our own affections. That is not what he's saying by, by paying attention. So most of us do not need to be reminded, do we? We pay attention to ourselves. We give to ourselves constant care. Right? But we need to be reminded that according to the Word of God, we are to constantly be scrutinizing our lives. And that's what he has in mind here. Now, as we come and as we have come to these issues related to the leadership of the church, the the pastor of the church, I'm often reminded, I've mentioned this many times over the the years. And um, I, I fear that I would be, misunderstood that, Tim, you're just trying to carve out this big niche so you get your way and nobody will oppose you and uh, everything you say goes. And trust me, that is not what I'm about. And I'm very aware uh, that the pastor that licensed me to preach, uh, when I was getting ready to go to seminary, he had so chapped, he had so offended, he had... So irritated the church by his constant, every sermon he had to say something along the lines, well, according to my pastoral authority, or within my pastoral authority, or I as your pastor who have this authority, and you know what? He got to the place, at least in my opinion, he couldn't even be right, that people had just turned him off, that you can be so obnoxious about these things that people weary of it. So I fear and I, I hope that's not uh, where I have gone with this. But I do believe that leadership is vital to any ent- entity, business, government, home. There, there must be leadership. And uh, my dad had, had, had kind of a phrase and a philosophy, it's all about the man at the top. In other words, if a business succeeds... There's a man that is leading that gets the credit or a woman, okay, in the case of business or something like that. But again, it's about the person who is leading this organization that will be go a, a great deal toward determining if it's going to be successful or a, a failure. And so I think that leadership is important. It is necessary. It is essential to the, search, to the church. But Tim Evans is not essential to the church. I will pass off the scene. And the church will not. You understand? The, the office, if the church is to exist, the, the role, the office, the function, it will continue and it will continue to be necessary and essential to the life of the church. But Tim Evans will be long gone if the Lord tarries. And so I am uh, aware of, of that. Tim Evans, not necessary, just in the providence of God, this place, this time, this role but it is important what we do. No one is irreplaceable, okay? But the role is just as the church is irreplaceable. And so we want to uh, do this uh, work effectively. We want to do it uh, according to to the Word of God. And so in that vein, Paul wrote this to Timothy one of the really fun things that has been going on in our, our Wednesday night uh, Bible study is that we have been in uh, the, uh, Paul's epistles primarily. And one of the fun things about the epistles is you can go back to Acts and kind of get some background in, uh, information. And, and so as we've been in Acts talking about Ephesus, we've also been in first and Second Timothy, uh, where uh, Timothy has been left behind uh, in Ephesus uh, to bring order uh, to that difficult situation. And so those things kind of kind of dovetail uh, with each other. But in First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16, Paul wrote this, "Keep a close watch on yourself." And on the teaching, persist in this. And literally, the Greek is in these things. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Pay careful attention to your life, to your behavior, to to your to your morals, to to the disciplines of of your life, and pay close attention to the word of God, to the to the doctrine, to the to the truth of. God, watch these things very, very closely because they're necessary, they're essential for both your life and the life that God has placed under your care. Now, there's a lot of this in my notes I'm not even going to get into just for the sake of of time. But I will tell you this. In my life and in very... Typically, very small churches, not in mega churches. I'm aware of at least six men who were elders in the church who either had major moral failure, they had serious doctrinal departures, or they had failures within their homes pertaining to their marriage. There's probably more than six. This was just the real easy, quick six that I could come up with. And folks you talk about ripple effects they're not ripple effects they're tsunami effects for the life of the church. There there are still people reeling from things that happened in churches 30 and 40 years ago as men who failed to keep watch over themselves and their doctrine. Tragically tragically to me. The man that led me to Christ when I was 15 years old. One of the finest, I'm going to call him a pulpiteer, but he truly, was, he, he, was, he introduced me to preaching through books of the Bible, to do an appropriate exegesis. He is now, by my estimation, absolutely a false teacher. And, and it's consistent with his typical, his manner, his, the nature of his particular false teaching, he left his wife of 50 years for his true love and married her. And I'm sure God told him to do that. Okay? That is tragic in my estimation. The man that licensed me. Again, he is the second of the two best pulpiteers that I ever sat on under as a member of the church. Brilliant man. He was so obnoxious and abusive from the pulpit towards his wife that I have no doubt that when she eventually left him for another man and divorced him, that what we heard in the pulpit was characteristic of what went on in the home. Now, I could go on and on and on, but this is an admonition that buckles my knees, that sobers me, as to the reality of the dangers that are a part and parcel. Just to remind you, just recently, I'm going to say five years, you may not know these names, but I bet a bunch of you do, know those that have either failed morally, departed doctrinally, or some other colossal era that brought shame to the cause of Christ, and many of them are no longer in the ministry, and some of them don't even think of themselves as Christians. Mark Driscoll, pastor of one of the largest churches in the United States of America. Josh Harris, published author, probably doesn't even think of himself as a Christian anymore. Bill Hybels, one of the largest churches in America. Moral failure. Ravi Zacharias, exposed after his death for moral failure. Rick Warren, the craziness that he is trying to foster these days. James McDonald, nationwide radio ministry. Locally. Rick Owsley. I, we could go on and on It is a dangerous thing, and Paul and Scripture warns us about this reality. And this falls probably under the broader category. And you hear me say this often. 2 Corinthians 13:5s. I say to you, examine yourself daily to see if you're of the faith. What does that mean? One, are you even a Christian? You need to think seriously about it. You really do. Listen, I have seen people fail over my life that you're you're completely shocked. We got into this discussion a bit with some of my fellow pastors just, just this week. And a few years back, full color picture, front page of the Chattanooga, either the news free Press or the Times. I don't remember which one. Full color picture of a man that I had grown up grown up with he was about 10 years older, than me, one of those guys you looked up to, minister, music, deacon, whole nine yards, arrested for soliciting a prostitute. Examine yourself to see if you're of the faith have you been born again and then particularly for pastor but for all is what i believe the word of god is the doctrine that i say i believe is it that which is defined by the word of god as paul wrote in first corinthians 9 I beat my body, I make it my slave, so that after I preach to others, I will not be proven a documos, ingenuine, the counterfeit. Indeed. And so, we see, pay attention. Pastors deal with the same problems that result from the fall, the problem in relationships, the problem with finances, the problem with health, and they can all be crushingly difficult pay attention, and then the peculiar uh, problems of being overly invested uh, in the work. Uh, being, uh, many, many times, uh, because of the affirmation uh, that you receive, uh, maybe you neglect other areas of your life to your own uh, destruction. And again, just the challenge of the wide range of competencies that as a pastor, you must engage in, you must demonstrate. You've heard me talk about, at least at at Beeson, uh, I remember one of the grand poobahs of the Alabama State Convention told us this, and there were a couple of things he told us that were really right. One of them was, as a pastor, you have to administrate, you have to give care, and you have to teach. Now, you don't have to make an A-plus in every one of them, but you can't make an F-minus in any of them. And and so, again, we we do those things. I was talking to the deacons this morning. Typically, my way of administrating is asking other people to handle various matters. And I'm very thankful. Uh, I don't even think about the lawn. Our lawn is mowed because we have people that take that as their responsibility to see that it's done. The building is cleaned. The light bill is paid. The lights are on, not because I went down to Alabama Power and gave them the check for the power. But there's someone that takes responsibility for that. And to those people, I am thankful. But all those things are part and parcel of what we do. But again, we we give care. We enter into people's lives. We grieve with those who are grieving. And we can't ever be completely destroyed by the sorrows that is going on in the lives of those we give care to. And then we we really can't dismiss the reality of spiritual warfare. I believe Satan is a strategic enemy. I really do. You know, uh, I've been listening to some some things about the founders of the nation, and one of the first, obviously, would have been George Washington. And they give an account, I believe it was in the French-Indian War, of uh, some of the enemy saying, listen, we shot at you all day. And the truth was, they shot his horses out, his coat was riddled with bullet holes. But in God's providence, he was preserved. And many people call him the essential man of the American Revolution. And why? Because the enemy took a strategic approach to that battle. Hey, if we kill this guy, the war will be much easier to win. And Satan knows that as well. Now, again, if we destroy the elder, if the elder is is destroyed by his own sin, by his own wickedness, then the battle is so much easier. And so, there is this uh, reality. And how... We fear the consummate failure and the great disaster. Who else would Jesus say on that final day? You said unto me, Lord, Lord, but you did not do what I say. Yet, But, but Lord, we, we cast out demons and we prophesied and we pastored big old churches and wrote books. Had skinny jeans, had had the right facial hair. Real. Well, T shirt, taunt across the upper body. Bulging biceps. Doesn't that count for anything? Depart from me. Why? They didn't pay attention to themselves. They didn't pay attention to their life and to their doctrine. And so, pay attention to yourselves and then second in that same verse is an essential admonition. Pay attention to yourselves and then pay attention to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Okay? So, Watch out for the flock. Be on your lookout. Guard them because they face danger as well. Instruct them and charge and challenge and comfort and correct. And again, be reminded. He's speaking to verse 17. The elders, those that are supposed to be mature and wise and have some sense of experience and again as sometimes they'll say in business do you have 20 years experience or do you have one year of experience 20 times there is a difference are you learning are you growing or do do you look back on your mistakes and go what an idiot Or, or or do you double down To these elders, these men that are qualified and called and and vetted and affirmed and recognized by the church, they are indeed the overseers. Again, once again there in verse 28, the the episkopos of uh, the the church. And again, also in verse 28, the, the word, at least in my translation, care for. That is The, the Greek is poimeno, or from the word poimeno, it is a present active infinitive, constantly give care. I think, and I, I really prefer, uh, and I think some of the translations pick it up, shepherd, shepherd the flock of God. And I think that's the most descriptive and, and the most beautiful picture of the work that a pastor is called to do. It implies well, it implies several things. First of all, I will remind you that I and others are under shepherds. We'll give an account to the chief shepherd, and the flock is his. We're we're stewards of his flock, and we will give an account to the chief shepherd, to the one who is ultimately faithful as the shepherd to tend to that flock, to nurture and love and uh, protect uh, them. And so uh, the shepherd is, is charged with the care of the sheep. And again, not to be offensive, but all of us have heard that when the Bible speaks of the church as being the sheep of God, that is not meant to flatter you that you're so gentle and sweet and cute and cuddly. I'm not going to tell you exactly what it implies, but I think you know. You're grinning, so you know. It means you need some help, folks. I'll just leave it at that, all right? And I'm a sheep as well as a shepherd, so I need help too. But we lead, we feed, protect, console, we correct, we diagnose, and we treat. We lead them out to the green pastures. We bring them back to the fold. We watch out for danger, and when it's necessary, we stand between The flock and that danger. And so, in reminding them, pay attention to yourselves, pay attention to the flock. The third thing is there's a tragic reality. Look at this. Verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. A wolf... Is always destructive to the flock, and I'm I'm not sure exactly does Paul have in mind by describing these that will come in as fierce wolves? Are they are they infiltrating the church? Are they uh, secret agents? Are they coming in uh, to infiltrate and and seduce and subvert uh, the church? I think that's what he's got in mind. Certainly there are those outside the church that persecute. But, but I, I think the two categories are those that are currently outside the church that will come into the church and they will assimilate into the church and they will give the appearance of being sheep and maybe then ultimately shepherds and they will do damage uh, to the church. And then, wow, verse 30. And from among... Your own selves. And I don't think he's talking about the church there in general. I think he's talking about the elders. I think he's talking about the elders. That there will be some, that, that the, the church has, has affirmed, uh, they have celebrated, they have, 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 uh, have demonstrated or have allowed to be demonstrated that you're gifted, you're called, and they're recognized as those who should lead, should instruct uh, the church. And they depart. And they are indeed false teachers and false prophets, and they do great harm. And as I said, we, in our study on Wednesday night, Paul, in writing back to Timothy, who had been told, you stay in Ephesus because there are going to be problems there, and I want you to handle some affairs there in Ephesus. Paul wrote this, First 1 Timothy 1, 1.3. Remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Some have wandered into vain discussion. Well, who's he talking about? Who, who, who was teaching but elders? First Timothy 1:20. Homenus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme? That doesn't say that they were elders. But I think maybe it's incredibly likely that they were, since he' called them out by name. So what, 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 what is he saying? You remove them from the protectorate of the church and your hope is that they are made so miserable by the assault of Satan that they are forced to repent. And so, 1 Timothy 4, 1. Now, the Spirit says in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. They will kind of be uh, a part of the faith, and then they'll depart, and they'll devote themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. 1 Timothy 6.3, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, and then he names it, that godliness is a means of great gain. Now, we've never heard of anybody like that, have we? That, that's never on your television. Send me your money. Now that's not going on. Yeah, godliness is a mean, you know, just send me that seed faith money. Y'all ever heard that? Yeah. 2 Timothy 1.15, Phygelus and Hermogenes, who are in Asia have turned away from me. 2 Timothy 3.1, In the last days will come times of difficulty. Men will become lovers of themselves. 2 Timothy 4.10, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. 2 Timothy 4.16, At my first defense, all deserted me. It's dangerous. And I've said this before. Yes, I will give an account for you. And that's sober. That's sober. It it really is. Have I told you the truth? Have I loved you? Have I corrected as I should? Have I loved you as I should? But guess what? You're going to give an account for me. If you put up with me, yeah. If I'm deceiving you, if I'm teaching you false doctrine, and remember how does what's the sign of judgment on people? God gives them wicked leaders and they sit there and smile. Amen, brother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you're accountable for me. And and here Years ago, we asked a young pastor to, to preach here one Sunday. He was like, wow, preach at that church? There's too many people know the truth there. You can't bluff them. Let me tell you something. If I were to severely depart from biblical truth, I wouldn't get out that back door to somebody who'd be saying, I need to talk to you. That would happen at this church. I can promise you. And that's a good thing. So, again, this, this tragic danger. Now, I want you to turn to First Timothy five seventeen. Man, we're so good on our time today. Y'all are listening so fast. I am so proud of you. Uh, I just, uh, I, y'all, y'all are doing great t- today. First Timothy five seventeen. There is, we've talked a, a good bit about God providing a, a design, a, a structure for the home, for the success of the home. Uh, he has uh, he has given us a, a structure, a design for the church. He, he's informed us how to set up the church for for the mutual flourishing of of, of the flock of God. And then when things go sideways, he, he's given us at least some uh, information as how do you remedy this. When the pastor is not paying attention to himself, and he's not giving care to the slot to the flock, and he has not watched over his doctrine closely. Now, verse 17, 1 Timothy 5. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, uh, especially those who labor in preaching teaching. I assume that kind of means that you can pay them. Paul chose not to be paid. He, he makes allusion to that, that hey, I, I didn't take your money, I worked, I made my own living, but that, that doesn't necessarily seem to be the, uh, the norm. He, he, give, he uses an illustration, verse 18. Then in uh, verse 19, uh, he, he has a word uh, to protect those in leadership. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Don't go around shooting your mouth off about what the preacher did or didn't do. Okay, you 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 get a witness and you go confront him uh, about uh, the the issue. Verse twenty. Look at it closely. As for those who persist in sin, they have you've gone to them and they've been confronted, and they say, "No, no, no, I'm not going to repent. No, I'm not going to do it." And those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. The pastor is not above the discipline extended and practiced by the church. Because what have I said? I'm accountable to you. The church, in some sense, functions in terms of accountability for those who lead and when they sin and they refuse to repent? Now, to be sure, we sin, we we fail. But those that have been confronted and refuse to repent, they are to be uh, confronted uh, publicly. And notice, he kind of kind of doubles down with verse twenty-one: in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing out of partiality. In other words, do it for the health of the church, for the good of the sheep, for the good of the elder. And then a warning, verse 22, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. They they call those that lead elders for a reason. Let them demonstrate by both the quantity of their life and the quality of their life that they have at least given evidence that they're prepared to lead the flock of God. And remember, this, one of the essential criteria is he manages the affairs of his household well, okay? So, we have very much a corrective for when things go sideways... For the elders, they are not autonomous. They are not independent. They, they, they can't just do as they please with no one. There's just no way to rein this rogue elder in. Yes, there is. And the church is accountable to do that which God has called us to do. So, these fierce wolves are false, false teachers, and they will come in, and they will destroy uh, the flock. Verse 31, Therefore... Because these things are true, back in Acts 20, therefore be alert. I don't know how many times in the New Testament. Be alert. Be sober. Be aware. Be on your guard. It's constant. Why? Because it's dangerous, I hear. Again, remember my ministry uh, to you for the three years that I was among you. And now here's what I do. Verse 32. A necessary reminder, I commend you to God and the Word of His grace. When in doubt, don't believe Tim. When in doubt, believe the Word of God. Believe the Word of His grace. Believe the imperishable seed of the new birth. Believe the Word that shall not return void. Believe the the Word that we are to preach. You go to that Word Of His grace. It has the power to build us up, to make us robust, to to flourish, to be vigorous, to have dynamic spiritual life within us so that we may stand against the schemes of the devil, so that we may do battle with the sin that remains within us. The Word of the grace of God is sufficient, it is sufficient, it is effective. For doing that which God has ordained be done among His people. It is a, a word of certainty in the midst of the uncertainties of life. It is a word of peace in an anxious, anxious world. It is a word, word of strength when we are weak. It is a word of promise when we doubt. It is a word of hope when we are hopeless. It is a word of truth in a world of lies. And it is a word of comfort when we are troubled. And it is that much, much more. And so... After this commendation, this exhortation, this admonition, he engages in basically an appropriate reflection related to his times. He reminds them, hey, no one can accuse me. I did it for the money. Because when I was in Ephesus, I worked. I didn't take your money. I, I worked and that, that was just a principle that I believe was important for my ministry. And so I worked and I provided for myself. And then again, uh, I lived out the, uh, the great principle that it is more blessed to give uh, than receive. And so upon that reflection, they prepare for the departure and they pray together, uh, thinking that this will be the last time that they will be together. And so this is a, powerful testimony of the nature of Paul's relationship to the church. And I I think it's real easy to think of Paul as this abrupt and abrasive guy. And I guess he could be. But I see a tenderness, the tenderness of a pastor, of a shepherd also in Paul, a concern for the sheep in his care and for the sheep that would be shepherds as well, that they would do the work God had called them to be. The task of shepherding a flock is a unique calling and it's certainly both a rewarding and challenging work. It is a task that I have been privileged uh, to be called to. It's a task that I love. I've, I've told you many times, I didn't want to be a preacher. I didn't like them. I still don't like them. But guess what? Delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Guess what I want to do now? Still don't like preachers, but I do want to be one. God get changed my desire. You know how He did it? The Word of grace, of His grace that's able to build you up. That's how my heart changed in such a dramatic way. Sometimes the weight is so heavy that kind of my confession is God this is your church it's not my church and I know that ultimately you will care for it if I have aired my prayers you would correct me if that era is beyond prepare repair move me out or take me out but don't let me do harm to your precious blood bought flock don't let me linger that I would do irreparable harm for which I will stand and give an account one day. It would be far better to end it now. And I'm so thankful. And I've, you know, I've told you many times, I do what I want to do. It is a blessing. And it is a privilege to serve a church such as you are. But again, it is a serious and it is a sober undertaking. We can see that for all of Paul's dogged and determined and diligent proclamation of the truth, he also cultivated powerful personal relationships. This unique call is a call to constantly challenge with the truth while serving and loving. In doing this, we fulfill the call, we nurture the saints, and establish an eternal legacy for the growth of the kingdom and for the glory of God and the good of that flock for which he shed his blood. Let us pray. Father, once again, thank you for your word. It is your word to us. It is your word for us. I pray that we would give heed to all that you command us, that indeed we would live in light of all that you promise us, and that we would indeed uh, have uh, the hope of the glory of God, which is again the accomplishment of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would continue to raise up those that would love and lead your church. Uh, God, that you would bless your church, that it would indeed flourish Uh, that it would be strong, that it would be robust, that it would indeed, as you promised, it would stand against the gates of hell. Again, for our own good and for the sake of your name, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.